Now, would you join me by opening your Bible and going to the second chapter of Jonah, Jonah chapter 2. We began a series last week that I've called Understanding Your Life Mission. And sometimes we can live our entire lives without knowing the reason we're here. As you're turning there, I want to tell you the point of life. I tell this almost every funeral service I conduct, every time I have an opportunity. If you've never understood the point of life or why you're here, first and foremost, understand that the point of life is preparation for eternity. Because we will spend much more time on the other side of eternity than we do on this side. So if you feel like you've done nothing with your life yet, but you have given your heart to Jesus Christ and you're a follower of Christ, you at least understand the primary point of life. But after that is settled, then we have a mission in this life. Our life is no longer our own. We want to live to the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ as Christians. And this message is primarily directed toward us as believers. But as we live this life, sometimes we forget that the job was to drain the swamp when the alligators are chasing us around the pond. And today, I want us to refocus on understanding our life mission. There's a dear, wonderful guy by the name of Jonah that got that out of perspective. And in the chapter we're looking at today, which is my favorite chapter, I think, in the book of Jonah, Jonah has a come-to-Jesus meeting underwater style. And so we're going to talk about that in just for a moment. In the book of Jonah, we're going to see a guy who, first of all, was a bad example for all Christians. In fact, I've heard preachers say recently, please don't model your life after Jonah. He was not a good example. Well, there were times King David was not a good example. But yet, it's reality. It's who we are. It's lives that we live. And eventually, he got it right and eventually did what God wanted him to do. It's a life lesson about a guy, though, who was given a mission from God. And he went, do you remember last week? The other way. God said, go. Jonah said, no. And the Lord said, oh. And that's the story of Jonah in a nutshell, as I shared with you before. And I want you to know that I believe with all of my heart, the Bible teaches that God has a mission for your life. And God has a mission for my life also. And it's the most important thing in your life to know what that mission is after you come to Jesus Christ. That's why I don't want you to miss a single week in this series because we're looking at an individual that almost missed, missed his mission of what God wanted him to do. And you don't want to go through life and stand before God on judgment day and for God to say, what did you do on this earth to fulfill your mission? And for you to say back to God, oh, I didn't even know I had one. Everyone has a mission. God has a calling on each of us individually in our lives. I mean, you really don't think you were put on this earth just to live for yourself, do you? To earn all you can and go into retirement with a stash of cash to pass on, pass on to your kids. No, 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 no. God has a much better plan for your life than just to grab it and hold on to it and squeeze a quarter, hold a quarter till the eagle squeals on it to let it go. God has a plan much, much bigger than that. One writer said, you're not here for something that small. God has a mission for your life. And in chapter 2, we're going to look at Noah's life mission. You remember God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. That was the capital of Assyria. I want you to go there and give this message to the people. You'll recall from last week, if you were here, Nineveh is 550 miles to the east. Uh, Jonah decides to go 2,500 miles to the west. He gets on a Mediterranean cruise line to go uh, away as far away from God as he possibly could. And last week, we looked at the problems as a result of him being directly disobedient to God. 
Sometimes when you don't know for sure what you should do, you can just kind of waller a little bit and wander. But when you know what you're supposed to do, and you deliberately run in the other direction, with God, there will always be consequences, either immediate or eventual. And with Jonah, it was all down, 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 down. He got on a ship that was going the wrong direction. He gets involved in a big storm in the Mediterranean Ocean. The sailors end up throwing him overboard into the water, and he gets swallowed up by this great fish. So let's go back to the last verse in, in, in chapter 1. You don't have to turn there if you don't have it open, but you just have to look back one verse to be able to see it. The last verse in chapter 1, and it's on the screen, it said, The Lord had arranged a great fish. Now, actually, that word arranged is ordained. Ordained means prepared beforehand. In the original language, it's saying that God knew what he was going to do when he prepared this great fish that would swallow Jonah at that point in time. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, we know for sure that we don't know what the fish was. For years, we thought it was Jonah and the whale. I, I was looking at some illustrations of what that might have looked like if it was in a whale. And some illustrators for children's books came up with one. Can I have this next one up just for a moment, please, of the, of the little uh, whale? Whoever came up with that was very creative. That's where roast fish came from right there. You know, to build a campfire right in the middle of the fish for three days and three nights. That's the most creative one I've ever seen. But the truth of the matter is, the fish that came after Jonah, in fact, we have footage of that fish trying to get Jonah. If you'll look right here, you can see that this great fish is huge. That is an actual fish. It's known as a whale shark. You'll know it's very prominent today. There are about a hundred of them that are tracked and traced and followed all the time. And they've been to the dentist and they had all their teeth pulled. Those sharks have no teeth at all. They eat up microorganisms down in the bottom of the ocean. And many scientists believe this is the type of fish that, Jonah, that would have been, uh, Jonah would have been swallowed by. And you can see Jonah swimming as hard as he can just to get away from that fish. So you can appreciate how big that fish is. Let me have the next picture. This is the average size of a whale shark that's been pulled out. It's over 40 feet long, just so you will know. That's an 80-passenger school bus plus. And so if you see the man standing near the mouth of the whale shark, you can see how easily it would be for Jonah to get sucked into that situation. And however God arranged it, whatever God did, that could be an example. All right, take it down, guys. I'll never forget those pictures. So I heard about a little girl, and she was being just challenged by this skeptic who didn't believe the Bible, didn't want her to believe the Bible. And he goes, how could God create a fish that big to swallow a man? And the little girl said, I don't know. I'm not God. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah about that. How did God do it? And the skeptic says, well, what if Jonah didn't go to heaven? What if Jonah went to hell? She said, well, sir, you can ask him then. (laughs) (laughs) So now we're in the second part of Jonah's story. And the book of Jonah has four parts. Now, part one, Jonah's running from God. Part two, Jonah runs back to God as he's being thrown overboard. He's swallowed by the fish. And in the depths of his despair, that's generally when we pray our best prayers, by the way. I sometimes am amused when people want to have eight-hour prayer meetings. I, I, I struggle sometimes eight minutes straight of emotional, passionate prayer before God. Jonah had about a minute to get this prayer out. 
and you're going to see the most action-packed prayer in the next few verses that I think are recorded just about anywhere in the Bible with the exception of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Jonah's desperate moment, he, in chapter 2, it'll show us several things that you can do, that I can do, when we're feeling hopeless. And that has a lot to do with our life mission. Because there are many incredible things that are being done today for the cause of Christ as a result of someone going through a crisis. There was a death. There was a disaster. There was a divorce. There was something that happened that brought them to the point of saying that life is more than just living every day. I'm on a mission from God. And this helps us, especially when you're feeling hopeless, when the situation around you feels hopeless. And as your pastor, I hope this morning that you're not feeling hopeless. I pray that you're feeling healthy, happy, and terrific, and that life is coming up sunshine for you today. But it won't always be that way. There will be those difficult days. There will be those dark days. There will be those dreaded days when we'll want to have something to hang our spiritual and emotional hat on that is much farther than just a platitude of some bumper sticker that we try to get through the day. Because one day, you're going to lose a loved one. Uh, our very precious Frank Lake went home to be with the Lord this week that sat on this front row every single week in the service. And, and his grandson called me, and we're starting to work through that whole process right now. One day, you're going to lose a loved one. One day, you're going to hear that dreaded word, cancer. One day, the bottom is going to fall out in your life. And you're going to need to know this. What do I do when I'm feeling hopeless? Maybe it was a diagnosis, a prognosis, something that caused you to feel that way. I want us to get right into it, and on the, back, on the front of your worship guide, and there are two sides to it, we're going to have to write rapidly today because I want to get through this one. Number one, when you hit bottom, look up to God. I promise somewhere down the road you'll value this outline if you don't get rid of it. When you hit bottom, look up to God. This whole chapter, chapter two, did you know this? I'll give it away now, is literally a prayer. Chapter 2 is Jonah's prayer to God as he's drowning in the ocean. He's swallowed up by some kind of giant fish. He doesn't know what's going on. And the entire chapter is, I'm sinking, I'm going down, I'm going to look up to God, I'm going to pray. That's the first verse of Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Notice on your outline or on the screen. It said, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Would you circle the two words, Jonah prayed? When you're hitting bottom is the best time in the world to look up. He prays to God. And the truth of the matter is there are some problems in life that are never going to be solved until you look up and pray. Now watch this persistently. Not just a flippant prayer, dear God, good meat, let's eat. Not that sort of thing. But when something that you really care about, you bring before God, you don't pray about it once and forget it. You pray about it over and over and over. It puts you to sleep at night, that problem, that challenge. It wakes you up in the morning. And so you, you're ready to give that to God. And you can try everything else, but it's not going to budge. God's waiting many times for you to pray over and over. One time the, the critics of Jesus, when he was on this earth, the Pharisees were challenging him, and the disciples came by. <laughs> And, and then he says, from this person that had this bad spirit, they're trying to test Jesus and, and mess him up. He had a bad spirit. And the disciples said, we prayed for him. We tried to pray for him and heal him, but he wasn't healed. Why couldn't we do that? We're embarrassed in front of all these people. And Jesus said, this kind comes about only by prayer and fasting. 
This can only be forced out. In Mark 9, 28, it says the disciples privately asked Jesus, why couldn't we drive out that bad spirit? And Jesus said this kind can only be forced out by prayer. Now, what Jesus is saying there, that there are some problems in our lives that are so deep-rooted in your past, maybe in your parents, maybe in your family, maybe in a trauma that you've experienced, some problems that are so deep that they cannot be rooted out by a psychologist, a psychiatrist, or the latest selling book on how to live healthy, happy, and terrific. It can only come about by the supernatural work of God and by time spent working in prayer with that with God. And that's the starting point. The only way they're going to come out is by prayer. That's where we begin. Jonah does the right thing. May I tell you, in the book of Jonah, this is the first right thing he's done that we've seen since Jonah chapter 1 in the beginning. He's thrown overboard, and what does he do? He looks up as he's sinking, and he immediately begins to pray. Maybe God's waiting to see how persistent you're going to be in your prayer to deal with that situation that you don't know why it's not been taken care of yet. Maybe you've talked to Dear Abby. Maybe you've called the 1-800-Psychic hotline. You've listened to Oprah and Ellen and all the people in the world. But you're not spending time in your prayer closet, in your war room, as the movie talks about, where you take it before the Lord all the time. Now, here's the second thing you do. This is what Jonah did. I hope you're writing these down. When you're feeling hopeless, pray passionately. I'm talking about praying with emotion. Really, really strong. I can't imagine as Jonah's dropping down to the bottom of the ocean that he prayed, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I can't even imagine he prayed, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus, number one, hadn't given us that prayer yet. But number two, Jonah wasn't looking for some perfunctory prayer. He's crying out. He's probably shouting out. He's praying with emotion. He's frantic. He's desperate. Sometimes I'll be in, an, in the emergency room at one of the hospitals and uh, waiting to visit someone, and, and they'll bring someone in by ambulance or through the doors, and the family is so frantic about what's going on, and they'll start yelling, help, 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 right now, help. And there are 25 other people in front of them that need help. But I promise you, every time someone goes and addresses that situation, it's because of the emotion. It's the old adage, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. I think it's so imperative that we understand when we have a real problem that we go to God with emotion and with passion and ask him to supernaturally move in that situation. Why is that? Because I believe God answers frantic prayers. I believe God answers desperate prayers. I believe God answers emotional prayers as we pour our hearts out to him. In Jonah verse 2, we see the second thing he did, and that was praying passionately. Notice what it says in verse 2. In my distress and in my deep trouble, I cried out. Circle that word, cried out. That means passionate prayer. Can I ask you this question? When was the last time you cried out to the Lord? Maybe alone in your prayer closet? Maybe in your car where things are so bad that it's just that ordinary is not enough, but you cried out to God? God says, you want to talk to me? I really want to hear what's on your heart. I don't want to know what you learned in seminary. I don't care about what you memorize in catechism class. We need to get to the bare bones of the situation. What is the problem? I want you to be authentic. I want you to be real. I want your emotion, your heart, as you share with me. So if you don't get anything else I tell you today, please get this one thing. It really doesn't matter where you pray. God doesn't care if you pray in a church building or the belly of a well. What God cares about is your heart as you pray to him.
The position of your heart is more important than the position of your body. And, and the third thing you do when you're feeling hopeless, you're going to need this one someday, is that you identify the cause of your hopelessness. I want to confess something to you. Sometimes I get anxiety. I know no one else does, but I get anxiety. And I don't know why. It's something that, that I know something's wrong. I can feel it in my gut. But as I've gotten older, and I know I'm not that old, but as I've gotten older, I've learned a real secret to dealing with my anxiety when I don't know what it is. And that is taking time to figure out what it is. Instead of just mulling and allowing the anxiety to go on, to try to find a way to pinpoint it. Sometimes it's personality-driven. Sometimes it's task-driven. But until I can identify it, I keep that anxiety feeling a long time. Once I pinpoint what the anxiety, the source is, and I begin to deal with it, it's over so much faster than when it just churns inside of me over and over and over. Maybe you're here today and you're feeling down and helpless. And you say, Frank, I don't know why I feel this way. I don't know. Well, you can't work on it until you name it. You have to point it out. And when, when, when you name the feeling that's trying to get control of your life and you get a handle on it. And, and anything that you can't name is already out of control. It's already just attacking you and you haven't been able to pinpoint it down. We have to do that. And there's some common causes of hopelessness. As we read Jonah's prayer here, and it's literally his prayer, I want you to let me read to you verses 3 to 6 in chapter 2. This is his literal prayer to God. He said, you, God, cast me into the deep water. Now, if you're a liberal, say that proves that the Bible isn't correct because chapter 1, it says the sailors threw him into the water. But Jonah knows it was really God that threw him in the water. He said, you, God, cast me into the deep water, and I sank to the bottom of the sea. Everything was churning around me, and I was engulfed by powerful waves that overwhelmed me. Then I thought I've been banished from God's presence, and I'll never get to see your holy temple again. I was scared to death, afraid I was drowning with water choking me and the seaweed wrapped all around my head. I mean, that's pretty graphic. I kept sinking down to the ocean floor, to the mountains that rise off the ocean floor, and I felt locked in a prison forever. Now, in those three verses, four verses, Noah gives... Uh, Noah, he was on the ark, not in the bottom of the ocean. Jonah gives us, in those verses, eight common causes of hopelessness. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these, but I came across this, and I wanted to share it with you. It's so good. There's a box on your outline, and every time I name one of these, if you're feeling one of those things, maybe put a check in that box just for yourself, because that could be a precursor to depression or hopelessness in your own life that Jonah was experiencing. Here are eight feelings. I'll do it very rapidly. Number one, feeling like I'm in over my head. Just write that down. Feeling like I'm in over my head. You ever feel like that? My situation exceeds my knowledge. My situation exceeds my ability. My situation exceeds my finances. I'm in over my head. I've been thrown into the deep end of the pool, and I don't even know how to swim in this deep water. Jonah said, God, you cast me into the deep water. He's saying, I'm way out of my depth. I'm in too deep. I'm in deep trouble. And when you feel like you're in over your head, it causes you to have that sense of hopelessness. 
Number two, write this down, feeling like I've hit bottom. That can cause hopelessness, that you can't go any lower. Jonah said, I sank to the bottom of the sea, voyage to the bottom of the ocean. He says, I've gone as low as I can go. I can't go any lower. And when you feel like you can't go any lower, when you feel like you've hit rock bottom, when you feel like the bottom has fell out and maybe you've gone even lower, I'm as low as you can go, Lord. I've hit bottom. That's going to cause hopelessness. Maybe you're there. You would check that box. The third feeling, Job says, is feeling out of control and powerless. Do you ever have to go through anything that you feel like is happening to you and you, there's no way you can control it? That you're powerless either over the courts, over the relationship, over the financial situation, over the medical diagnosis. You just feel powerless and out of control in that situation. He says in the very next verse, everything was churning around me. That's what I'm telling you that sometimes I feel when I experience anxiety. It's like my stomach is churning all the time and I don't even like buttermilk. Just things that would just tear up, just churn over and over and over you're drifting without direction or meaning, and, and you don't know how to get back on the map. That's feeling out of control. Number four, fourth thing, is feeling overwhelmed. Feeling overwhelmed with just so much coming at you can cause you to be hopeless. Here's what Jonah said. He said, I was engulfed by the powerful waves that overwhelmed me. They were coming so fast. Some of you have been to the ocean, and you've been in the waves that can just seemingly be very overwhelming coming in all at once on you. And that means that you're, you're, that you're helpless to change it. You're engulfed. It's more than I can handle. Number five, if you write this down, is feeling rejected or lonely can cause hopelessness. When I feel rejected, either of those could cause you to feel hopeless, feeling rejected, or feeling lonely. That's the real cause of hopelessness. Hopelessness is just the byproduct. Hopelessness itself doesn't cause all the other things that go with it. And Jonah's saying, I feel like God's a million miles away. I feel rejected. I feel on my own. I feel so alone that God doesn't even care. Occasionally, I'll hear people say, if God really cared, he would have. Have you ever heard that? And sometimes you can get so subjective and so focused in on your situation that you do not realize the, the sovereign magnificence and the height of all that God is able to do. Number six, if you write this down. Is feeling remorse and regret can cause me to feel I'm alone. Jonah says, I love this. He says, I'll never get to see your holy temple again. I won't get to go back to church. I can never go back to church again. I took it flippantly. I took it lightly to get to fellowship with other believers. And now, God, I'm, I'm in this bed. God, I'm now in this situation. I'm now backslidden away. I'll never get to be back in your presence in your house again. That's a picture of Jonah being filled with remorse, and he's, he's filled with regret, and, and he knows the problem, and he knows it's his own fault. It's the problem because he was running from God in this situation. And you can run from God, but there will come a point in your life where you can run no farther. And Jonah was at that point. The next verse is not on your outline, but it's on the screen. Notice David's heart in Psalm 42, 4, where he said, My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. That's the cause for hopelessness. My heart is breaking for remembering how it used to be. I feel remorse. I feel regret. I, I may feel guilt because it was so good, but I ran from God. I ran from God. I just started slipping out of church a little bit or stopped doing my devotions a little bit. I had no idea that it would take me as far as I've gone, this far away from God 
in a desperate matter. It breaks my heart remembering how good it used to be. And number seven, a big cause of hopelessness is feeling crushing fear. That's when you can hardly breathe in your spirit. Jonah says, he was honest, I was scared to death. He said, I was afraid. I was afraid I was drowning with water, choking me, and seaweed wrapped all around my head. Circle that word choking just for a moment. Did you know that word worry in the English language it comes from the old English, the word we're gone. And the word we're gone, where we get our word worry, literally means to choke. And that's what worry does. It chokes. And, they, and Jonah said here he could feel the stranglehold on him. And anxiety and worry can choke the life out of you so it affects you physically in every station and direction of your life. And they even take the hope out of you and, and feeling crushed and have fear on it. The eighth thing that he says is, I was feeling trapped. I was feeling trapped. I, I felt like I was locked in a prison forever. Other translations say, I felt behind bars and someone had thrown away the key. That's Jonah's prayer. In those few verses, he said those eight things. And as we go through the list, may I ask you one more time, are you feeling any of these? I'm in over my head. I'm at the bottom of the ocean or the bottom of the pit. I feel like my life is out of control. I feel powerless. I feel overwhelmed. I feel lonely. I feel rejected. I feel remorse. I feel regret. I feel this crushing fear that's coming on me. I feel trapped. Well, it's only when you name that fear, that anxiety, that problem that you can begin to deal with it and identify it. And then you can pray about it specifically. And if you'll stay awake just a few more moments, I'll tell you how your prayer life can deal with the anxiety better than the Xanax can. Because once you know what's the cause of your hopelessness, then you can go to the next step, number four. Here's step number four, and Jonah did it in spades. Ask God for help. Duh. Ask God for specific help. Any of the things we just listed, you talk to God specifically about these things. Be specific. Notice on the screen in verse 2 of Jonah 2, the second part, he says, From deep in the world of the dead, I ask for help, and you listen to my cry. Psalm 50, 15, God says, Call to me in your times of trouble, and I will save you, and you will honor me. You see, once I know the source, I've named what I'm really feeling. I don't just have to have this vague, bad feeling. I know what's causing it. I know the thorn. I can name it. I can present it to God. I can give it to him specifically. And here's the key for asking to help. I want you to write this down. There's not a place on your outline because that was finished before I got to this. But I want you to write down somewhere, pray the word of God. It's the most effective prayer. Sometimes I'll be out with someone and we'll be eating dinner. I know it's hard for you to believe. But we'll be eating dinner and I'll say, would you say the blessing? And on more than one occasion, they will say to me, oh, I wouldn't know what to say. I'm going, really? I don't say that. But I say, oh, okay. Pastor Joe, let me show you how to do this. But I want you to know you'll never go wrong praying the word of God back to God. God rejoices when we say his words and say his scripture and say his promises. I mean, take that scripture and say them back to God. And did you know this? This is a red letter day for you. That's exactly what Jonah did in this miracle. 
Jonah clearly is well-versed in the Bible because in this very short prayer, he prays eight different scriptures. What I just read you are eight different quotes from the book of Psalms. Jonah knew his Bible. Do you know yours? Jonah knew what to say back to God and pray it. So it's okay to pray about the complaints of the Bible. There are a few books like that, Lamentations, to deal with the laments of God. Read David sometimes. It sounds like he's on the verge of suicide when he cries out about his problems or he's angry with his mother-in-law or something, you know. David is just crying out to God. Pray the complaints of the Bible. Pray the truth of the Bible. Pray the promises of the Bible. And then as you pray those things, Focus on the goodness of God. That's number five I want you to write down. Focus of the goodness of God to me, to how much he cares about me. When everything looks dark, when I can't see ahead, when there's a fog and it's shrouded, and I can't see the future, and it's, it's pitch black, there's no light at the end of the tunnel, I focus on the goodness of God. That's what Jonah did. He was at the bottom of the ocean. It was dark in the belly of the fish. He had nowhere to go. There was no lifeline. There was no rescue squad. The National Guard didn't exist. The the sea rangers weren't coming. And he says, what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to mentally shift my mind. And we have to do the same thing. When I'm hopeless, I have to stop thinking about the things that are making me feel hopeless. And then I choose to change the channel of my mind and start even by rote declaring the word of God back to God, declaring the promises of God, the things that I know for sure that are going to lift my spirit, things like the goodness of God and the promises of God. We just finished a series where we talked about the 7,000 promises of God to us in the Bible, and the Bible says the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. And to focus on those promises. Notice in verse 7, Jonah says, When I had lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord. You ought to underline that. When I had lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord. That's the answer to hopelessness. Right there. When I lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord. He said, I turned back to the goodness of God and the greatness of God and the power of God and the love of God and the fairness and the justice of God and the kindness of God. I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. He's talking about heaven. He is using the word for repent. Repentance means that you change your mind, you change your thoughts, you think about it in a different way. Instead of looking at things from down here where you're at, you begin to focus on it from God's point of view instead of my point of view. Look at the goodness of God and not always the problems of life. In the midst of the storm, he's still a good God. In the midst of the battle, he's never failed me yet. Regardless of what I've gone through, he's there. And when you feel hopeless, you need to change the channel of your mind. You need to change your focus. Someone says, you focus on your problems, you'll be distressed. You look on the inside, you'll be depressed. But if you look to God, to Christ, you'll be at rest. We're able to do that because of his goodness. Notice again what he said, Jonah 2, 7. When I had lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord. Would you memorize that verse? It's not that hard. When I had lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord. Maybe you ought to put it on a card. Maybe you ought to keep it somewhere where the enemy comes and tells you there's no hope. You just say, hey, devil, when it seemed like I was losing all hope, I've turned my thoughts 
back to the Lord. Two very quick lessons more that I want to share with you, if I may. Number six, reject false fixes and accept God's grace. Jonah was in a point where he was going to make no more excuses. He wasn't going to try to fix it. We've all seen people in big trouble who turn to God only as a last resort. They try literally everything else to solve their problems before they'll finally, in humility, turn to God. And sometimes they'll try some of the stupidest, dumbest things, and I have done that too, most worthless things instead of God when they're in deep trouble. Instead of turning to God's grace, they turn to everything else in the world but God. Their marriage is falling apart. You wouldn't believe the things they try. Their career is falling apart. Their body's falling apart. Their reputation is in shambles at the moment. And they're looking to everything else to take care of it except running to God. Reject that thing and go to God. In verse 8 of chapter 2, notice what Jonah said. Those who look to worthless idols forfeit, watch this, the grace that could be theirs. Don't ever give up the grace that could be yours by trying to fix something in a different direction. And two verses previous to that, in verse 6, Jonah says, You, O Lord, saved me. You're the one that saved me. You brought my life back up from the pit. That's a euphemism for death. He was there three days and three nights. I was dying. Some theologians believe he actually died. And that God brought him back again. Now, here's the seventh thing you do when life seems hopeless. Number seven, do what Jonah did. Express gratitude. Wait a minute. Look at me, please. Did I tell you this is the most important point of the whole sermon? I could have given you this first and we could have wait, went out and beat the Methodists to the restaurant. But no, I had to preach it all just to get you to this point. I just want you to turn to your neighbor and say, this is the most important point. So now let's write it down. Express gratitude to God in advance. You thank him before you get out of the situation. I know it sounds like you're a Pentecostal TV preacher if you do that. But there's something biblically deep about that and something maybe that we've missed while you're still in the belly of the fish, while you're at rock bottom, while things are swirling around. And I need to explain the difference between gratitude after and gratitude before. If I wait till things work out and my problem to thank God, that's gratitude. That's thankfulness. Thank you, God, for taking care of me in this situation. And that makes sense in what gratitude is. But if I thank God in advance before the problem is solved, while I'm in the midst of the storm, that is not gratitude, that is faith. And God always honors faith from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. By faith is the most important thing. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4 and verse 20 that Abraham was strong in the faith, giving glory to God. And every time we walk in faith, it gives glory to our Father and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. When I thank God in advance, now I've expressed faith. Thank you, God, for solving this problem. I know you're solving it even though I'm depressed. I don't feel like the problem's solved, but I'm thanking you in advance. Always, always respond. God responds to faith. How do I show gratitude to God in advance? Jonah, here's Jonah's prescription. All the doctors in the room, here's Jonah's prescription for being able to give God praise in advance. He did three things, and these are three things you need to do, perhaps, when you're feeling hopeless. Three things that I'm starting to work on. Showing gratitude to God in advance. Notice what it says in verse 9. Jonah said, I will sing a song of thanksgiving, and I will sacrifice to you, and I will do what I've promised you to do, because salvation comes from the Lord. Now, notice three times he says, I will, I will, 
I will. This is in advance. He's making a vow. Vow is more than a promise. It's a holy commitment to God. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. He's not waiting until the problem is solved to be grateful. Now, write these down. Here are three ways you express to God in advance. There's a place on your outline for it. Number one, through singing. He says, I will sing a song of thanksgiving. I know what you're saying. Some of you say, Frank, I can't sing. I know I've heard you. (laughs) But maybe you're like me. I'm a prisoner singer. I'm always behind a few bars and can never find the right key. (laughs) You don't just get this stuff by going to seminary. (laughs) But guys, think about this. Doesn't the Bible say make a joyful noise to the Lord? There's something about this. I want to tell you this. I'm going out on a branch. There's something very therapeutic about singing to the Lord. I don't have time to develop it, but in your car, instead of putting on the country station, it might help your spiritual condition if you put on a Christian station or a CD or a tape and just sing to the Lord. No one's going to hear it in that car. You won't break the shatter or the glass of your windows. They make them better than that. And and just lift your voice up to the Lord and and give him praise. But there have literally been psychological studies that show singing is a pain reliever. And singing to the Lord is more than a pain reliever. It's an inspiration to do. Number two, second way he says is through... Now, this guy sinking in the bottom of the ocean. He says, I will sing and I will start giving to you. It's through giving back to God. He said, I will sacrifice to you. I'm not only going to sing to you, yada, yada, yada. But Lord, I'm going to put my words in my mouth into action. I'm going to sacrifice to you. I'm going to walk the walk. I'm going to walk everything that I say that I talked about. And I'm going to do it. So let me ask you, do you give any of your income to God? Are you trusting God with that source when he tells us to give the first dime of every dollar? When we, we trust him? I know it's sacrificial. But are you trusting George Washington in your wallet? Or are you trusting God Almighty in the throne room of heaven? And he says, I want you to sacrifice and give to me, not only in our money, but in our talents and our time and giving to the Lord as you look for a way to be pleasing to him. I'm going to give an offering. I'm going to sacrifice giving back to God. And on a regular basis, I'm going to do and I'm going to give and I'm going to serve. And then number three, I love number three, and that is through recommitting to my mission. Through recommitting to my mission. He says, I will do, God, what I promised you I would do. How many of you promised God you would do something and you've not been doing it? Jonah in the bottom of the whale said, Lord, I'm recommitting my life to the mission. I'll do what I promised you. I'll do what you promised me to do. You see, Jonah's messed up royally. And we've all done that. I know have. We're all Jonah's to some degree and we've all messed up. But that does not stop God's mission for your life or mine. God still has the mission for Jonah, even though he rejected, done everything he could to do exactly go the opposite direction. I was reading 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel overview this last week, and we think, we think about the sweet psalmist of Israel, David, who said, who can ascend to the throne? Only he who has clean hands and pure hearts. This same David, at times, he won every battle he ever fought except the battle with lust. 26 wars, he never lost one. He couldn't beat the battle in his pants, in his heart. This same David who we lift up so high on one occasion, a servant came to tell him someone else was dead. Another king was dead. And David said, kill him. Another place, a few chapters later, another servant came. David didn't like the message. He said, kill him. And David married a whole bunch of other women. 
And then David's sons killed another brother because that brother raped his sister. And I thought, my goodness, talk about a dysfunctional family. Out of this same family would be a baby that would die as a result of adultery. And then out of that same family would be a baby that we would know as Solomon, the greatest wise guy that ever lived on this earth. And David and his sons and his family went through so very many things. And I thought about Jonah when I was thinking about David. And I thought about you and I thought about me. That we desperately need God because at our best we're dysfunctional. And as God enters in and we get his direction for our lives. And the best thing that we should do. You see God still had a life mission for Jonah. He does for you. I want you to look at this one verse. It's at the bottom of your outline on the back, Romans eleven twenty nine. And guys, when you put it up, I want you to leave it up there just for a minute. I want to break it down. Paul starts by saying, for God's gifts, and he's writing to Christians. He says, for God's gifts, his gifts to you, the gifts that God has given you, every Christian has been given a gift. You are gifted. You're talented in certain areas. He says, God's gifts and his call. That means God has a calling on your life. Maybe not to be a preacher vocationally. That's what I do. But we are brothers and sisters. When I'm behind this pulpit, I'm grateful that you listen to me as long as I'm preaching the word of God to you. But outside of this pulpit, when I'm standing there, and even when I'm standing here, we are side by side brothers and sisters in Christ. And God has a call for you just like he had a call for me. We all have a call in life, and he has a life mission for you. And then notice this last part. He says, God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. The King James says, without repentance. God is not sorry that he's gifted you and that he's called you, and he's not going to change it. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how old you are. You may have missed your, God's call most of your life because you've ignored it, but it's still in force. Some will write this down on your paper. God has no plan B for my life. God has just plan A for every one of us. You don't know about my embarrassing failures where I fell flat on my face, the adulteries, the divorces, the financial ruin, the lies, everything. You listen to me. God has no plan B for your life. God's mission for your life is still in control. You say, but I've only got three years left to live. You better get busy, buddy. God has no plan B for your life. He wants you to do what he's called you to do. And now, when did Jonah decide to do these three expressions of gratitude? After he's out on dry land, he's picking seaweed out of his nostrils? Absolutely not. He decided to do it in the situation while he's still feeling hopeless. His ordeal is not over yet. God loves to give a second chance. In Jonah chapter 1, we see Jonah running from God. In this chapter, we see Jonah running to God. But next week is going to be the best yet. I lied saying this one's the best. Next week's the best. Next week, we're going to see Jonah running with God. And oh, how precious that's going to be. May I ask you a question? Where are you, chapter 1, 2, or 3? Are you running from God? Are you running to God? Or are you running with God?